This is a Fubar Radio podcast. If you need any more information, head to fubarradio.com. Screen Talk with Dan Clark on Fubar Radio. Hello and welcome to Screen Talk. We have a brilliant guest with us today. I'm going to crack on because I've got so many questions to ask this guy. It's the wonderful David Schneider, who you'll know from shows like The Day Today, Alan Partridge. He's got a film out this week, The Death of Stalin, which he co-wrote with Armando Iannucci, who's directed the movie. Very funny film. Saw it last night. He's done so many other things. Of course, he was in How Not to Live Your Life. I'm going to crack on with his first choice of two songs. This is the theme from Better Call Saul by Little Barry. So that is Little Barry. The uh, Better Call Saul theme, I'm sure it's probably got an actual name because it's a song, not a theme, but uh, we might be able to find that out. David, hello, thank you for joining us. It's probably us. called Thank God We've Earned Some Money. For <laughs> Why did you pick that particular piece of music? I'm a big Breaking Bad fan and a big Better Call Saul fan. The team behind it don't put a foot wrong with their drama, with their storytelling, with the way they shoot it, with the comedy. Everything is perfect in those shows apart from the theme tune, the way he cuts out the theme tune to Better Call Saul. So it was great to hear the whole song there because he cuts at a completely bizarre moment. And every episode I go, why, why has he done that? He just <laughs> like, don't bother, don't, it just, it just doesn't make sense. Just be perfect, like everything else. And I'm sure there's a reason, you know, he's putting us on edge. Life doesn't resolve like I'm not going to resolve this piece of music. But I just think, stop it. Get it right. So you've actually picked a song that annoys you rather than something you like. Which I think is very 2017, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, <laughs> the things that, that I emotionally invest the most in nowadays things that piss you are off. things that piss me off. Yeah. And that is, I love the show, but what's going on there? I don't know. Probably someone else said to him, you know, you've only got like eight seconds for a... Uh, because have you noticed that opening credits in uh, especially American shows are getting shorter and shorter? Yes. Now it's just like the title appears and a sting of music rather than a long... But I think if you've done Breaking Bad and you've done Better Call Saul, I think nobody tells you to cut your music. I think, you know, it's it's a choice he's made and that's what keeps me up at night. Do you like Better Call Saul as much as Breaking Bad? It's hard to answer that because you're so invested because of Breaking Bad that if you came to Better Call Saul without having seen Breaking Bad, maybe it's not quite such a good show. But I still love it. I still think it's the characters are so great. You so care for them. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really... Oh, God, I know. I I think it's a wonderful show. So why screw up on the music? (laughs) Look, if anyone out there is listening, or even Vince, if he's listening, can we find out what your thinking behind this was? Yes. Just let us know. Tweet in if if you're Vince Gilligan. David, congratulations on Death of Stalin. Thanks very much. I saw it last night. I was very encouraged to be in a completely packed cinema. Oh, that's Um, nice. I really enjoyed the movie. Is it doing well? It is doing well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, th- I like the way I sort of was, was you know, when everyone says I've seen your movie, I get yeah. nervous what they're going to say. <laughs> I was very encouraged. Was yeah. your, I thought, <laughs> well, right. I'm not sure that's going to yeah, go yeah, on the yeah. poster. Good effort. Yeah, Dom Jolly tweeted, saw Death of Stalin, enjoyed it. And you thought, well, that's it. What, you've yeah. only got 60 characters to play with now? Yeah, can't yeah, you yeah. Can't Come do on. It more? It's 
gone really well. I mean, it was, it's, it's a funny thing because the reviews were so good that you thought, you know, I'm a pessimist and I'm always thinking things are going to go wrong, things are going to go wrong. So going into this opening weekend, which is so important with movies, just thinking, are people actually going to go and see it and will they like it as much as the reviewers? And, and thankfully, they have done. And now yeah. we've got, we're expanding, you know, more than doubling the number of cinemas we're in. It's, it's interesting being party to this, you know, the way movies work, that there is this guillotine that comes down on Monday that, you know, if, if you're not selling, if you're, you know, yeah. then your film's out. They call it, not the rollover, but the hang on. or they, There's some right. term for it, which is yeah. all about, can you extend your run? And yes. does it pl- are there bookings for the following week? All that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's brutal, isn't it? Yeah, which it I is, suppose it has to be. Yeah. It's about money. We did, I mean, some the highest percentage per screen possible. You know, like you said, a lot wow. of them sold out. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so we did incredibly well. And um, so. I mean, the only reason I'm saying that with some kind of, not surprise, but <laughs> you like... You thought the film was shit. <laughs> it's because I was like, what? <laughs> They're all coming to see this? <laughs> it feels quite highbrow as a pitch. Yeah. It's actually more accessible a film than maybe the pitch is because it feels quite historic and like uh, maybe you need to really know about that era, that that yes. period. But it's I imagine in the film world, speaking to we get a lot of people who make independent films here and they talk about how hard it is yes. to get people into the cinema. And I would have thought as a pitch that was a hard film to get people in, but it just seems maybe it's obviously the caliber of all the people involved. Yeah, I mean but I think uh, it's it's Armando and yeah. it's the the cast. Mm-hmm. And then I think we were careful with the trailer to make it clear that yes, it's about this historical period. But it's really funny. There's and it's silly as well. And yeah. there's loads of... Sl- well, slapstick... I think slapstick's wrong. Slapstick implies it's not rooted in truth. But there's lots of physical humour. There's a um, bit of a farcical... Yes. And there, there is, you know, that, that thing about, you know... Um, history plays out first as tragedy then as farce we've mm-hmm. just gone straight for the farce mm-hmm. but it was it's both tragic and farcical you know this, the, the stuff that we do in the film a lot of the things that people say that's just so funny how do you come up with that it's a ridiculous situation yeah. and you go no that's exactly what happened really so to give you an example like the opening few minutes of the film are about a conductor who's sorry uh, so the opening a few minutes of the film uh, yeah they, they're asked by Stalin Stalin rings up this orchestra and says can you in the radio station and says can you record the concerto that you've just played or can I have the recording they haven't made a recording Mm -hmm. uh, so they have to make a recording they have to keep the people in the conductor is so panicked that they have to make a recording for Stalin that he faints they have to get a second conductor who then turns up in his dressing gown and conducts who is bizarrely has his life saved in the meantime well he he, he thought he was going to be rounded up because the roundup's going yes so that seems preposterous that you'd keep the audience in in fact get new people in because half the audience had left that you'd have a conductor in his dressing gown having to record it and your life would be at stake but the reality is that the second conductor they got was too drunk so they had to go out and get a third conductor no way um, so the reality is even more farcical than what we how present in the film how do you know these little events how do you research this stuff just, it was just, just reading lots of yeah lots of research talking yeah. to people but yeah there's a lot of books about it now in the 80s I remember I was first interested in the Soviet history back in the 80s before you were born when <laughs> uh, well, yeah. I'm actually older than I look oh, but, okay. you know. well, well, well done on the moisturising <laughs> then you just couldn't get access to material but yeah. now there's a lot of material there so we looked at the memoirs of the Politburo of their kids have written about them of, of people at the time uh, histor- a lot of histories and you get these little amazing nuggets that you think 
What? So Stalin's son accidentally killed the whole Air Force hockey team, which is what happened. And you think if you made it up, you just thought, no, I can't. Yeah, that's not believable. But it's all actually happened. How do you sell or how do you describe the film in a short sort of elevator pitch, as they say, like what the story is? What are people going to see? Yeah, well, I suppose they're going to see the maneuverings after Stalin's death Mm -hmm. to take over power. But we call it a comedy of terrors. Mm -hmm. So it's a comedy. It's, yeah. a, it's a comedy, but it's terrifying. And you can so see its influences from, obviously, Armando's other work, like yes. Thick of It and Veep and stuff. Yeah. There's the group of people desperately clamouring around to try and resolve a situation. Yeah. People are a fan of those shows. They'll definitely yes. love this movie as well. Yeah. What was the thinking? Like, where did it come from? What made you go, oh, let's do... That would make a good comedy. Where And did well, it come from Armando first? Did you and he talk about it before? Well, it's, there's a graphic novel that yep. it came from. So the, the producers, Quad, these French producers, got a hold of a French graphic novel with Death of Stalin. Mm-hmm. And the tone is already there. This sort of absurd, ridiculous grotesque scary but funny tone that we have in the movie Mm -hmm. is already there in the graphic novel I mean we depart from the graphic novel especially for the second half so the graphic novel existed and Mm. uh, Quad approached Armando and said will you do it and he said I'm busy with Veep but if you'll wait then I'll up for it and very keen because he wanted to do something about dictators Okay. uh, and this just seemed absolutely perfect I think he was going to do a fictional dictator but this seemed absolutely right and yeah and then I had written a play about the Yiddish theatre under Stalin, which I can bore you with if you want, but because uh, I, part of my upbringing is I did a PhD unfinished, sadly for my parents, in Yiddish uh, at Oxford. And one thing when I was re- when I was researching that, I came across the fact that this Yiddish theatre troupe, the so- Moscow State Yiddish Theatre, were for a while fated across the world and innovative under Stalin, because in the twenties. Everything was great for the arts, and it was only sort of later on, late 20s, where Stalin started going, the terror started coming. Right. I was already interested in it. Armando came to see that play, and uh, then we started talking about doing the movie. That's interesting, because I would have thought it would have come from you guys first, because it so suits what you'll do. But the fact that they brought the... But that's graphic novel to you is yes. like that's kind that's of what's brilliant about Quad is that yeah. they they knew the right person mm-hmm. to go to. They they saw that book and they thought this is like the sort of Armando's obsessions, yeah, yeah, and the obsessions of all of those that orbit <laughs> orbit mm-hmm. him, such as myself. And they saw it in the graphic novel, so it was a, a perfect marriage. What is it about British comedy? And comedians that love doing period and historical comedy. I mean, it feels more so, unless I'm overlooking some really obvious examples, but it feels more so like a British thing, whether it's Python doing, you know, nearly all their movies were historical period set, Carry On. I mean, there's a bit of Stalin that... I I don't know if this was a a conscious move, but I was like, that could be Sid James playing Stalin. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Uh, Because he's a geezer, isn't he? um, Which I love, by the way. I love the sort of just throwing all the kind of accent thing out the window. And, you know, and Blackadder and Mm. uh, Horrible Histories recently. I believe they're making a movie soon. What is it about, like, playing around with those historical moments? History allows you to get away with stuff that maybe you couldn't get away with so easily if it was contemporary. Mm-hmm. Trump and Brexit have done a great marketing campaign for us. Yeah. It was you know, we wrote it before Brexit yeah. uh, and Trump. And now the sort of 
preposterousness of what's going on in the UK and America has done the marketing campaign for us because there's so much of the film that relates to... Well, um, I was wondering about that, how much... So, so yes, I think through history, and that's the thing that the Soviet tradition would do, is that under Stalin, they would put on plays or films that were about history, mm-hmm. and but really everyone knew it was about Stalin. Yeah. So if you did a King Lear, or you showed some monstrous dictator back in history, everyone sort of knew it was actually yeah. Stalin. So I think history's a, a way of getting away with things. Did you have much involvement in the production as well? Yeah, well, in the actual filming. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, I was went off to film the second series of Josh, Josh mm-hmm. Whittacombe. Which you're directing, right? Yeah. We'll, which, t- we'll talk about your directing in a, in a bit, yeah. Thank you. So I w- was, in a way, I was quite lucky that I did the bulk of the work before we went on set, yeah. and Ian Martin did the bulk of the work on set with Peter Fellows, so they okay. were the other writers along with Armando. And that's sort of where the real hard work is, which is where constantly coming up with outs, as we say, with alternative lines, yeah. constantly tweaking, you know, because uh, that's, that's the brilliance of the way Armando works, is yeah, that yeah. you have a script, but the actors know that the writers are on hand to give them alternatives, funnier alternatives, so, mm-hmm. it's, so you're constantly working. So I would swan in every now and then and see this incredible... I mean, there's nothing like... When you've written something, a, a little idea, like there's a moment which isn't a particularly funny one. Well, I'll give you a particularly mm. funny example, like the spit. There's a spit in it, which yeah. I won't say any more about. But I wrote that spit. And to see that going from an idea that you have and you go, oh, that'd be quite funny. To see that executed. How, um, I want to know so, how they did that. But there's, yeah, but I don't want to give it you away. You don't want to give yeah. it away. But, but to say Rupert Friend, who's brilliant yeah. in the movie, practiced in his trailer a lot to get so that it's right. real i think it's slightly enhanced yeah. to brought out oh, but wow. the trajectory is all <laughs> in real time yeah he didn't get a stunt double in for that a spit a double, spit double. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fine. finally i've got some work <laughs> yeah an expector actor uh, it's been i don't know how to say this without make you know you'll feel probably old if i say this i've been a fan of yours literally since my teens i am <laughs> yeah. older than you think i am i was born in 1976 oh, right, okay. but i was like probably 18 19 when i first discovered things like the day to day and on the hour and all that kind of that was when i first was becoming interested in what's out there comedy wise beyond just what's yeah. clearly in front of you on tv and stuff and it was such an amazing period of time for comedy. I hate that I say... I, mm. I've said this before about, like, sounding too nostalgic. and yeah. But it really does feel to me like there hasn't been a moment like that where... I mean, it felt like it was like that for many years. Yeah. But where people were almost allowed to go and do what they do yes. really well. Everyone, yes. like that thing of seeing the people you really like, the familiar faces popping up in other people's yes. shows, yes. and doing stuff that's quite bold yes. and daring. And yes. Does it feel to you, is this just as a sort of cynical onlooker, or does it feel to you like that's No, I think, you're, I think you're onto something there. I think there was, we had a concept when we were doing the Friday Night Armistice, which was a show, mm-hmm. a satirical show. I was going to say, that's yeah. a, that was a great show that I think... In a way, it's not underrated, but like, doesn't yeah. feel like it's as Don't remembered as as much as. Don't <laughs> yeah. get me started. Yeah. It's like yeah. you know the other some of the yeah. other shows. You but know. anyway, so on that show, we we used to say nobody said no, yeah. uh, and you know we'd have a crazy idea, and then it would just happen. Yeah, you know, we want Gordon Kennedy, who's a presenter of the lottery show at the time, thirty foot Gordon Kennedy with balls coming out of his ass. No one said no; <laughs> it just appeared, and I think. That at that time, like we were so trusted, going from radio on the hour to the day to day, and with no real TV experience at all, we were trusted to make a show in a way that you just 
weren't now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember the first thing we shot on I'm Alan Partridge mm-hmm. was the lap dancing thing. And here you have a group His, of... like, strange little flashbacky yes, things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So Partridge lap dancing to yeah. me as Tony Hess. This, he had a group who had, you know, we'd been... Our claims of fame was realism, incredibly realistic comedy. And suddenly there's Steve Coogan in leather shorts, leather mm-hmm. hot pants... And I remember it was Pete Fincham, who's the, uh, who was the exec at the time in charge of talkback and went on to do great things in TV, just saying, oh, right, OK. This was unusual. It was a, diff- <laughs> it was a departure, but just trusted us. We were yeah. trusted and given money and allowed to make the shows we wanted to make. And I'm, I think that that's not so much the case now. Mm-hmm. I've been very lucky with Josh and that there's been, I think that the exec that we had on Josh, Dean McCrum and everyone, there was a sense where that we were trusted there. But I think generally there's a sense where, especially in the BBC, people are looking over their shoulders so much. And not just the BBC, everyone's so nervous about commissioning the right thing. They don't give things a a go. So I think that's why the 90s was such an amazing creative period you know so you had not just our little group but you had the fast show yeah. and the big train and you know Vic and, Bob that, and yeah, Vic and Bob because yeah. people were allowed to just yeah. do what they wanted to do because I wouldn't have been aware of things like ratings and stuff and reviews back then because I would have yeah. just watched stuff I didn't like I wasn't yeah, I hadn't yeah. got sucked into the horrible industry right. bit of it yeah. do you know what I mean yeah. but then were you getting good numbers because those sort of shows now are considered like where well, you have to go and find some niche channel to sure. do something weird like yeah. that but you know they were BBC prime time yeah were they, they I mean they were BBC 2 BBC 2 so yeah. there wasn't that so much pressure and the ratings, you know, you did look at the ratings, very much so, and, yeah. you know, they were okay, they were fine, yeah. which is why they did, you know, why there would be more shows commissioned. So the, I'm not saying that people didn't care about the ratings, but there was more a sense that, well, you'd be given another, another shot. Yeah. You know, if your first series wasn't quite there, you'd be given another shot. We were lucky that the shows that we did did really well straight away, mm-hmm. but, you know, there were other shows around us that they were given more of a chance than you would now. You know, now sometimes shows are pulled even mid-run. That's utterly depressing, isn't so it? So depressing. Oh, my God. I mean, there's nothing, you know, it's like I've worked on a few animations, and, you know, you work for five years. I mean, I didn't work for five mm. years. And that feeling that, you know, then it goes out, and it's, you know, I mean, the, in a way, if you're just if it's just pulled, then that's miserable. You go to therapy forever, and at least you've got <laughs> stories and anecdotes. But the worst thing is when you work so hard on something, and then you know it's all right. You know. you can't, I can't even go to therapy for this. Yeah, yeah, you can't <laughs> say, well, I didn't think, and you know, it was and it was all right. People thought it was all right. I got three stars. Yeah, yeah. you know, that's yeah. Did you know at the time that you had it that good as a collective? <laughs> There was Were you all going, God, can you believe that you're like, we're, we're going to one day go, this was an amazing... Or did you just think this is how TV works? I think it depends on your personality. I'm glass half empty, not only mm-hmm. half empty, but there's a cigarette butt in it and it's cracked and <laughs> it's, it's, it's just horrible. So I would always think, well, it's going to end tomorrow. Yeah. But I think there was a sort of a swagger in mm-hmm. our group yeah. um, with certain people that, you know, step aside, we know what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the old guard is over. And I think you do need that as, a, as the young Turks. That- Especially when you're doing stuff that's quite, you know, like satire or sketch stuff. That really is like a young man's game, isn't it? It's like everyone cares so passionately about that. And then I guess Alan Partridge was where it really went even wider, wasn't it? Yes. And, you know, that was... Because I, I actually remember watching the day to day, flicking through the channels in, like, 
Yeah, 95 yeah. was it? Or it wouldn't have six? taken you long in those days. To <laughs> yeah, right. And uh, I got all the way to four. Right. And then I went back again. Right. And I remember seeing the day-to-day and obviously believing it was a... Sure. Yeah. And it wasn't until a few months later that someone went, have you seen this show? And Right. And That's I, the joy of it. When we did Knowing Me, Knowing You on Radio 4 with Partridge uh, mm-hmm. and the complaints that we've got. Dear BBC, I can't believe you allowed this Alan Partridge on again after he hit a child last week on air. <laughs> no, people just believed it, which was really good. That is, that is great. It's, in a way, looking back, it's kind of funny that you would believe it because yeah, it seems... It but actually, I suppose in a way, I know that you're very um, vocal about politics and mm. you have your own podcast, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. It's, it's a podcast that my social media company, That Lot, puts together with Deezer. So Deezer okay. um, How did you come up with this you're like an entrepreneur now I, yeah, you, I am. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I am. I'm. A, I've got a company. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you even look quite proud of yourself then. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a businessman. Yeah, I'm going to light up a cigar. Yeah. I don't care if there's no smoking because yeah. that's the kind of entrepreneur I am. So I've got a social media company, which is partially started to justify all the time I wasted on Twitter. Yeah. And the founders were me and a guy who was the first ever professional tweeter, who's a brilliant social media writer and he's just a, he's a genius and a guy who's good at money. Just happened to be. A, at a time where, you know, brands and businesses needed help with social media. So because of my background, you know, and applying the rigour of TV and film to making Facebook video or whatever, it's expanded and takes up a lot of my time. Do you think that social media is a force of good or evil? I suppose this is the equivalent of... Well, I confess I went to public school, but the debating of, like, should fox hunting be banned or not? (laughs) This is the new thing. Is social media good or bad? It's both, really. Yeah. It's both. It's like, it's absolutely terrible, and it's absolutely brilliant. Um, And social media, I think, is to blame, to a large degree, for what's happened with Trump and allowing Trump and Brexit to happen. But then again, it's to blame, or it's to the credit, that there's more democracy, there's more interaction and stuff. And within the comedy world, that now you don't have to just... Just go through these narrow, get into the BBC radio and then work your way up or mm-hmm. stand up, that you can just make your own comedy. You can make a name for yourself on Twitter or YouTube or whatever. It's great democratically, but democracy is a terrible thing sometimes, <laughs> he says, having just done a film about Stalin. And, you know, so you see, really the question is not, is social media good or bad, but is democracy good or bad? We've been fire-hosed with democracy and now look at the mess we've made. There's something, though, that democracy probably wasn't prepared for in the sort of swelling of the sort of mob force yes. thing that happens yeah. where things can really get blown into all sorts of ridiculous proportions. And like you say, like, Trump probably wouldn't have got elected pre-Twitter, would he? No, pre-Facebook. And and also that his support, whether it's Russians or not, gamed the algorithms really well. And the fake news, and they played that really well. It still, on a daily basis, stuns me that he's... Not only is he the president, but that he's still does what he does. I know. It's like... What he's so good at is having 20 appalling things a day. <laughs> because if you look at, like, oh, Obama's worn a, a, a beige suit or whatever it yeah, was, big yeah. scandal. That was the week. That was the scandal of the week. Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that Obama was you know, devoid of scandals, yeah. drones, what have you, Benghazi, etc. But the brilliance of Trump is there's so much shit 
that you just don't know where to start. It's an it's, embarrassment of riches, isn't it? it? Yeah, it's an embarrassment of turds. <laughs> yeah. You just... Like, which turd do I yeah, focus on If we here? all agreed to just focus on one turd, let's just yeah. focus on Russia, which I think is obviously happening with this inquiry, or let's let's focus... You know, he's, he's so good at just creating like more... Noise, just yeah. hot air as yeah. well, you know. But it is terrifying because, meanwhile, he dismantles everything, and meanwhile, he fans the flames of fascism and yeah. what have you. Do you take as much interest in the American politics as British politics? Because yeah. I, I follow you on Twitter and I know you're very Sorry vocal about, about yeah. yeah. I, just, yeah, I, no, can't, just like, I don't know how to unfollow. I know, I know, yeah. yeah. You <laughs> can mute. Yeah. See, then oh, I don't you notice. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. But you, obviously, you talk about British politics, yeah. which is more important to you indirectly. Yeah. Are you as fascinated by the American politics? Yeah, or? I mean, we're all experts now in yeah. how Congress works and uh, uh, you know, I'm not uh, sure I still worked it all out. True, true, true. You know, I was being uh, rhetorical. Like that. But, <laughs> but I mean, you know, like four years ago, who could have listed half the cabinet, the American cabinet? Oh, that's but true. Now, but that's now, because we get told who's been fired on a daily basis. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think it's so important to follow what's going on. And, you know, particularly, I suppose... I'm the son of a refugee, a Holocaust survivor. My mum would have told me stories, she told me stories, and I see things happening that are terrifying echoes. I see even that tweet that he did about crime figures going up in the UK because of radical Islamic terrorism. Just that little drip, drip, drip of scapegoating, which is so like... And I know it's like, oh, bloody old, comparing it to Nazis. So like what was going on in Germany in the 30s. Drip, 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 just little, just, just the drip of the Jews are to blame, the Jews are to blame. And that's, I see that's what he's it's doing so weird because well. of obviously his uh, son-in-law and so that makes it even murkier because you're like, but can he be? I mean, it's yeah. like, but it is, you're, you're, you're absolutely Yeah, right. I mean, you wonder how you square there's, there's, Trump is defending people who are actually saying Jews will not replace us. How is Squaring that with his son-in-law, I don't know. Yeah, what? Com- I'd love to see that conversation. But I wonder whether the son-in-law just goes, "Well, you know, I'm in a good position yeah, of power." I'll take one for the and team. And Trump goes, "Is he Jewish? I didn't know. I just, <laughs> just forgotten." Which one of your parents was? My uh, mum. Really? Yeah, she yeah. she fled. Yeah. So she. I, I mean, I mean, she she was lucky. She came out in 1938 from Austria. She mm-hmm. didn't see. She didn't go through the camps or anything. But the Holocaust defined her experience. She was 15 at the time. Um, is she still alive? She, no, she's, she's, okay, she's not, not alive anymore. It was a defining... And, you know, there's a sort of thing called the second generation, yeah. which is what people who are children of survivors... We have an obsession with it as well. So I'm going, oh, there's a bit of, bit of fascism. Did, you, did I even sniff a maybe little <laughs> tint of it? You know, and I'll be leaping on that, you know. So the go-home vans for me were a, a, a terrible evidence of, no, you can't do that. You can't ban yeah. any... You know, that... For me, the never again thing is so vital. Yeah, um, yeah. This has got so a long way from the I comedy, know, it isn't has, it? it. Where has, are the jokes? I mean, come on. Like, Where are the Holocaust can, jokes? <laughs> everyone can talk about a film they've got, but yeah. you can't, like, you haven't got someone that directly that you're related to who first-hand witnessed that kind of thing. Yes. And what age were you when you, she first would tell you about things that happened? Well, I can't remember a time when I didn't know about yeah. it. Yeah. And growing up, like, in the late 60s, uh, I was born in 63, so that's, if you think about it, that's only 20 years after the end yeah. of the, the Holocaust, end of the war. It was just everywhere. I mean, I've, I've got lots to say about whether it was too dominant in my life and the lives of Jews of that generation. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's just so part of 
the fabric of growing up. We will get back to comedy and stuff, <laughs> but where do you... St- like, uh, because I'm not Jewish, I don't have the same context with this particular subject, but mm-hmm. this thing about the Labour Party having anti-Semitic issues or something, which I don't see as clearly as... Like, I've got Jewish friends who've told me, oh, you know, there is this problem, and yeah. it's like... I mean, just say no if there isn't, but is there a clear-cut way of describing what that problem is? Yes, I mean, how long have you got? I mean, there is a problem with some people on the left that they can't distinguish between anti-Zionism or anti-Israel, which I think is a completely natural... Oh, not natural, but it's a justifiable position, and anti-Semitism, and that the two bleed together. And there's no doubt that there are people on the left, many of whom are very vociferous Corbynites, who are anti-Semitic either through ignorance or sometimes through malice. Yeah. I think that the anti-Semitic charge has been pushed onto Corbyn. I don't think he's anti-Semitic, but, but there are times where he's been uh, a little bit uh, ignorant about board, it. Yeah. And yeah, and it's, you know, just tactically, Corbyn's enemies have pushed it. But that said, I am still shocked often by, for instance, Ken Loach, when yeah. asked about holocaust denial and whether it's right or wrong slides straight away into israel palestine rather than saying well of course the holocaust happened yeah and i think there is ken loach for whom i have the most admiration yeah. that's why it really hurts yeah, that he did that. yeah. Ken, I, I, he did that to me that was about me yeah and I, I was i was i think actually i'm being unfair to him because i think he still he has clarified it since right but at the conference when i saw him say that i thought well i don't understand how yeah. someone with the empathy and sincerity of Ken Loach cannot just say, well, obviously it's preposterous to say the Holocaust didn't happen, but has to elide it with what's going on in Israel now. Generally speaking, there's something so counterintuitive about the supposed left who are meant to be all in favour of equality and liberalism and stuff, having any kind of prejudice. Like, that's yes, why it's, it's like, I get exactly. so confused by it. But yeah. um, do you feel so like... comedy! Comedy! <laughs> well, look, here's my relatively clever segue. Is like, we're talking politics, but do you feel like in this amazing time for... I say amazing in quote-unquote for political comedy that there's still so little in the UK? Mm. I mean, in the US... Every night, talk show hosts and political shows like The Daily Show and what have you are discussing the politics every night. Yeah. And yet here we've still got Have I Got News For You, mm-hmm. which isn't like a heavy political show. It just sort of yeah. mocks the, the sort of the headlines. Yeah, but there's still some good points. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I still like the show, but that's kind of, there's Mock the Week, but again, that's not really a political... Well, we have The Last Leg. The Last Leg, and which... I think that, so The Last Leg is a, is a weekly show that I think is very effective and also is very effective on social media, not just because we do the channel called mm-hmm. social media. So I think there is The Last Leg and there is also social but, media. Yeah. But, but, yeah, we don't have the resources to do a daily show, I don't think. Or even an, a couple of other weekly shows, yeah. you know? Like, you guys were doing the Friday, and you, it was the yeah. Saturday Armistice yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah. Began... You know, where are the people doing... Especially people that that's where they've come from as well, from doing sure. political comedy. It's like, as far as I know, Josh wasn't a political comedian no, before, was he? No, but they're giving no, no. it to people who can obviously translate to a wider audience. But yeah. it still feels to me like we're missing a beat considering the amount that's going on in the world. Yes, it feels... I mean, the, uh, the MASH report was good, I thought. That, yeah. that, was, yeah, and yeah, that yeah. could take off. But because we can only do it in... Apart from um, The Last Leg, which is on a lot of the year, yeah. which is why I think it's, it's an exception to the rule, because we do it in six-week chunks, we basically have a series of six... 
there's not that momentum mm. to build up. And that's that we did that with the day to day as well. You know, the armistice as well was yeah. six, maybe eight that we did. You know, so you need momentum and you need resources, and also you need a channel that will take risks. I think it's, it's yeah. that's the big thing that will take political risks as well. Channel Four and BBC do their best, but you know, there's. It's, it's a different world uh, and that's why I think you have to look to social media that's where it's, mm-hmm. there's so much satire so if you got someone to collect all the satire that there was in the 90s and measured it on a huge scale with all the satire that there is now actually there's much more satire yeah. now it's just not centralised on right, TV right yeah yeah slightly out of the blue question mm. in the 90s yeah were you known more for Give Me a Second Series <laughs> or for Mission Impossible <laughs> All right. I don't know why you narrow it down to the <laughs> 90s rather than that. Yeah. Is that still what you're most yeah, second series? I mean, yeah. the fact that Monkey Tennis is now a part of the lexicon is yeah. kind of remarkable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's an amazing feeling to yeah. have been something where that people quote all the time. Yeah, it's I an, bet it is, especially um, 20 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 years know, later and people are still saying yeah. that. When I was 20 people quoting stuff from like the 60s or right. like and yeah. me feeling like why are yeah. people still quoting yeah, their yeah. history well i think about how i can quote monty python yeah to think that we might be i'm not saying we're you know as good as monty python but that you know that there's to some people that's their formative thing you know yeah. it's a, luckily it's something that i'm very proud of you yeah. know like lots of people are things are quoted that they're not proud of yeah i mean i think smell my cheese is probably what i'm shouted at really most. okay yeah. yeah yeah and give me a second series you and then yeah so mission impossible people have tended to forget and then i crop <laughs> up now but yeah but it was a wonderful experience i mean was it? being on a huge huge movie yeah and how did you get that role just through a casting i think they may have seen might have seen me in Day to day or something, I don't know, but you know, just through casting. Yeah, and uh, was yeah, it, was it CGI or was Tom really no, two was, feet from your face? Yeah, so Tom. So I did, I was on set for six weeks uh, oh, for that sequence because yeah, it's CGI. <laughs> oh, the whole thing is it was we were on in Pinewood and they had the front of a train on the end of a train I mean, it's like in a, a huge blue screen. Thirteen thing. minute sequence. Yeah, that took but six yes, weeks. that took six weeks. And yeah, so Tom was uh, or TC as TC, we called him. Yeah. Uh, was sep- was two feet away from me, separated by uh, some perspex, which mm-hmm. I guess is contractual. Um, but he, um, he has that like, wherever he goes. Yeah, yeah that's right, between him and, <laughs> and the actors. Um, but I remember the first time he crawled onto the um, perspex, and you know, and so I thought, oh, it's Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. So, and I I remember going because um, uh, I was in my sort of conductor's outfit I went oh, fares please, uh, which is like the wrongest thing you can say to someone who a isn't British. Yeah. B hasn't lived in Britain in the 1950s, <laughs> or, been, or been on a bus, or you know. So, but, but you know, you yeah. just get that rush of blood and go. Oh. But yeah, it, it was, was a good gag, by the way. But it just the yeah, wrong, audience. wrong audience. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Um, and but uh, yeah, he was very very nice guy. And uh, and then yeah, that's so exciting for me because I remember on the premiere. Um, so you get a limo. It's the first time I'd got a limo, and yeah. in fact, it's probably the only time I've got a limo where they say. I will drive you wherever you want for 24 hours. That's what that's what you do, or for 12 hours. So they pick you up at six, and you're like, "Where haven't I been in London yeah. before?" Well, not or, just London. You know, I said what? to him, well, "So you drive me to Brian? Absolutely, I am yours for till whatever it was like Amazing. 12 o'clock next morning." Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I wasn't very imaginative. Just said, "I'll go to the Premier, please." <laughs> uh, uh, but, um, but I was, you know, I'd never done anything on that scale before. Yeah. And uh, when my, I also didn't know whether my little bit would be in it. Because it was, it was a little, the fainting 
at the end of the movie, spoiler alert, yeah. uh, that I faint at the end of the movie. Was You've ruined of, the entire franchise for some people. Well, they I, can't I, watch any of the sequels now they know that. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah, because it is, that's, that's the real, So integral to the... the <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, there's no jokes in the movie. There's nothing funny in the movie. And yeah. my faint is, I, I think, quite funny. Yeah. Um, but when it came out, so a big Empire of Leicester Square, a big cinema, came out, it was in there, it got a laugh, and I just stood up going and went, yes! I mean, arms out, just just so excited. <laughs> and then thought, I've just, sh- you know, I've just shown the bloke who's enough. <laughs> Just and sat down again, but I just oh couldn't. man, someone else in the front row who turned who just seen that scene and then looked around and yeah. you're the guy. Yeah. Shared that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, any nutcase standing up in the theater going, Yes, yeah, I mean, but um, maybe they thought it was like some sort of interactive theater experience, possibly, like yeah. or like uh, the Rocky Horror, you know, where they get up and sing along yes. with the yes, you yeah. were just. Performing. Why don't people do that to my yeah. Mission Impossible? Everyone should faint at that time. Yeah. Oh, nice idea. There'd be a little ball at the bottom going along <laughs> yeah. with the words and then faint. Faint, yeah. yeah. Come on. Yeah. Yeah, so it was really it was so exciting. You know, still, the, I suppose, the, probably the, well, is it the biggest movie? It must have been the biggest movie I've mm-hmm. done, you know, so early in my career. Yeah. Um, we worked together. You were kind enough to do uh, a bit in my show, uh, which I was very uh, grateful oh, for. Yeah. And um, I, think I, me- I think I mentioned this to you on set, but you... You'd actually, you were in a show that I feel like just kind of was so underappreciated at the time, which was the Peter Principle. Now, in a weird sort of way, I think it was out of fashion because it was quite a broad yeah. uh, studio audience sitcom. And at the time, much more like, uh, I don't know, it's slightly more left field or, yeah, or yeah. sophisticated stuff was. Yes. Uh, but it was such a funny, yeah. simple show. It was Jim Broadbent as the lead character. As the, yeah. it, was, it was a bank. Set in a bank, it? yeah, as a character who's promoted above his station. Yeah. Which now it would be a president. But and yeah. I can't remember how many seasons. Was it just one season? Two seasons. Two seasons, yeah. 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 And yeah. It, I, me and a, a friend of mine who we were like, uh, you know, we've known each other since we were 14. We were such big fans of the oh, show. It, was like, it just nice, seemed yeah. like, who else is seeing this? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It was a it was a great cast because Jim Broadbent, mm-hmm. funny man. Yeah. Just being really funny. When he does that sort of thing, yeah. he's hilarious. Yeah. I mean, now he does, you know, beautiful, moving yeah. plays. Nuanced. Poets. And yeah. <laughs> but he's so good at comedy. I, mean, I remember to this day him doing this scene where he had to um, throw up, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you didn't see it, but you heard it. Yeah. And it... You know, it was hilarious because it was he not not only did the throw up, he did the a lot of the sort of uh, the after throw. The yeah, sort of, yeah. uh, 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 you know, a lot. <laughs> it was beautifully done. Yeah, such a fun. Claire Skinner was in it, who went on yeah. to being outnumbered and stuff. So yeah, it was really um, the a uh, couple of my favourite performances of Jim Broadbent was. Uh, he was so good in his uh, recurring role in Only Fools and Horses yes. as the slimy yes. cop who yeah. is sort of nemesis. But also, have you... Um, he gets seen- a lot, you know, he's he's won Oscars, I think, but yeah. he's, he'll, he's always going to be, you know, to the British public, oh. he'll always be, what's his name, Slater? Slater, or yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, but also, um, have you seen Bullets, Bullets Over Broadway, the yeah. Woody Allen film? Yeah. He is hilarious in that film it's one of the um, this is probably you're not allowed to laugh about this now unfortunately or 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 probably correctly but uh, it's one of the funniest putting on weight jokes 
of that's ever been because he's like on a diet but over the course of the film you see them slowly getting bigger and sneaking off and eating chicken and yeah yeah but he's just phenomenal in that funny man yeah 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 yeah. yeah, well i wonder it's nice that you like that yeah is it available anywhere i don't know it must be somewhere yeah written by mark burton who's a hollywood writer now and john o'farrell who writes um uh, you know, sort of stood for Labour. But he's got and John's got a really funny book out yeah. about being a Labour supporter over the last. Okay. Yeah. Weirdly, I think the Peter Principle would probably do better now yes. in this age of like Mirandas and uh, Mrs. Brown boys. Yeah. Not. It was probably more. Uh, smarter than that, but just the fact that it had a lot of farce yeah, and a lot of main, well structured mainstream comedy with yeah. lots of jokes. Yeah. There was that whole episode where he's stuck in in the atrium between the exterior doors and interior oh, doors. God, Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, <laughs> like proper farce. Yeah. Uh, how did you get into comedy? Uh, did you ever do live stuff? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did my national service on the circuit. I yeah, did, did my three years. The Edinburgh thing. Did, did the you? Edinburgh thing? Yeah. yeah, you did that Edinburgh thing where you think, yeah, this is my year. Actually, there's there's rumours I'm going to be shortlisted oh, to the no. Perrier. Oh yeah, yeah. Have you had that? And then of and then. Course. Oh, I had that even even when I knew I wasn't eligible anymore. <laughs> I was still like, they're going to bend the rules yeah. this year just to allow oh, me to. Oh, awful. it's awful. Because you go up going, I'm experienced now. I know yeah. what it's like. I'm, I'm just going to enjoy the show. Exactly. If I get better, that's what counts. I don't care if three people come. As if I get better. Yeah. And yeah. then you're going, well, there's no yeah. one in the show. And why is that person doing oh, so well? The bitterness. Oh, why? I'm so glad that even back. Well, I'm not glad. I wish that <laughs> there was a time where it didn't do this to people. Yeah. But no. I'm glad. To know that it's it's been like that for everyone, it just makes me feel less yeah, totally yeah, self-absorbed. Yeah, no, it is the the, the city of shattered dreams. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I've done all, <laughs> yeah, done all that. But yeah. And so, is that how you met everyone, or did you meet people? No, well, university uh, uh, and uh, so yeah. So um, helpfully for the um, rumours that there's an Oxbridge mafia, I met Armando at Oxford. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we used to have a sort of loose sort of double act where we do our own thing and then come together for a few sketches ourselves. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there was act. a really lovely moment actually because what Arm and I we're both square we're both sort of prematurely middle-aged in a way uh, and well we are middle-aged now but we were at yeah. university and we would go and we'd do oh, this gig at a ball or some event uh, and then we you know yeah it would go really well and then everyone would go and get drunk and we'd just cycle back to one of our rooms and have um, <laughs> you know, coffee tea. and a hobnob or whatever coffee and, that late though that's quite rock yeah, and roll actually yeah, yeah it's probably a peppermint tea <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a bit uh, beatnik uh, <laughs> but but then cut to 33 years later. I don't know how many years later. Yeah, it must be at least 33. <laughs> um, but um, the the premiere, the world premiere in Toronto of his movie, yeah. um, which I co-wrote, wonderful success. Everyone's fate, you know, he's fated. Yeah. There's this amazing party uh, where there's acrobats and, and really? Russian this and a vodka fridge you can walk into. All this, this, and all the sort of, you know, the... the film world is there it's all wonderful and arm and i we're, we're so old now we can't in a if there's lots of people talking in a room we can't we can't really hear so we just left we just left and went went and got an ice cream and it was you exactly the same celebration the two, uh, for your big there's yeah. no point we couldn't yeah. hear anyone speak mm. uh, uh we're too deaf we're too old <laughs> uh, and so so it was this amazing uh, you know and arm pointed it out that you know we, we it was like cycling back to our rooms you know we just yeah. left the sort of buzz and just went and had a chat over an ice cream. I like that there's still that, there's a continuity there. Yeah, though. I know, it was really nice. Uh, and 
And it's, that's the great thing about Armando, that he's still Jenny from the block. You know, yeah. he, he hasn't gone to his head. I think that's why his work is so good. Always, I've always thought of him as a sort of Jennifer Lopez uh, kind always, of, of British always, comedy. Always, you never see them in the same room. <laughs> that's true. Uh, yeah. That is true. <laughs> Uh, did, did, was it an emotional experience? Were you both like, wow, look where we've... Yeah, where I we've think gone. there was, you know, we didn't cry and hug. No. Uh, but, because uh, we're, you know, we're... We're, we're, we're well, alpha male, alpha aren't males, we? Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think we we did, you know, I'll mention it. And uh, it was it was just a really nice thing that you, you, you do have those moments in life where you look back and you very much remember where you were 20, yeah. 30 years ago, if you've lived that long. Uh, and then, you know, you can see, yeah, it was a really nostalgic moment. Yeah. And it's sort of us sort of going, that's oh, all right, isn't it? Yeah. yeah so it's really nice. Do you, is the working relationship still the same? Does it still yeah. feel? Yeah, yeah, that was the amazing thing about that we still, uh, when we were writing it, you know, we'd still get up in a room and act out and make each other laugh. Well, he certainly made me laugh. I hope I made him <laughs> laugh. You know, and and uh, yeah, it was it was like, I mean, I think that's the great thing about working with Armando, because he's, you know, we're always the fu- anyone is funnier when they're with their mates. Aren't yeah, they? yeah. So to to work with your mates and feel relaxed and just feel mm-hmm. that you can be as funny as you want um, and great. try things, it's great. Yeah. And so you mentioned this before, but you're now directing. Mm. How long have you been doing? You direct the um, the sitcom Josh with yeah. Josh Widdicombe. Uh, how long is that the first TV well, show you've? No, I suppose I started directing uh, on the Armando Yunucci shows, the oh, Channel Four really? shows. Do you know what? That is one of my favourite, like sketch, broken yeah, comedy things the, ever. Yeah. It was such an amazing show. I mean, talk about underrated. Oh that, my god, that is uh, some great and stuff I, in there. And I did work with Armando once about on a very short-lived political show. On uh, I just did a little bit in it, and I said to him that I just mm. I love that show. Yeah. What, and and he he said it was something. To do with uh, 9-11 happened and they and he the show was on the night after and everyone was obviously just watching the news yeah, yeah, 24-7 yeah. and it just sort of got a bit bit yeah, lost or something yeah. but it's so it was so clever yeah, and so loads of great stuff in that yeah um, so I, I sort of co-directed some okay. of that like especially when the bits that he's in he's in yeah uh, and got a bit of a taste for it there and then sort of said no I'm an actor I want to be an actor and it took me a long long time to realise that uh, and it's, it's only the last two or three years really um, thanks to directing Josh and yeah. directing adverts and a lot of the videos that I do for my social media company mm-hmm. that I thought actually what I love and what I feel happiest and more confident with is directing and writing mm-hmm. and I've let go of being an actor and I've let go of all that thing we were talking about in Edinburgh and how dare yeah. God but this person got four stars and only got three stars uh, all that's all that's gone now I've let go of it I'm, I'm going through that so we, after we've right, recorded I'll, I might need some uh, counselling in, in the Zen okay. club <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, in about so, five years it's, yeah it's, it's not it's not easy and there's still that shallow part of me that thinks oh, oh, let me on the chelly yeah. as, as Partridge <laughs> would say but uh, I've, I'm so much happier yeah. you know so, so do let go try and let go of that yeah, if, yeah. If, you know if you want I mean so where where are you at now I just I basically got so frustrated with the relationship with the business in terms of being like you're just such a victim to other people's decisions and even having like a period of like heat and then having lots of offers and then going to like total like tumbleweed and going how is this going to be like this you've like you've just got no control of when you're going to be in vogue or or whether people like you or don't do like you and 
And obviously, when you do stuff, you'll know this. When you do stuff and people love it, it's you know, you, it's an amazing feeling. Yeah. Like yeah, yeah. being recognised and someone saying, "Oh, that," because yeah. you can see in their face that you've made them laugh yeah. at some point in their yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you get a bit. Yeah. It can be quite addictive that yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um, and then I just decided not to focus on it, like, a bit like you, to write, direct, uh, do things like this, and I do stand up. And genuinely. The minute I made that decision, I yeah. felt so much yeah. better. Yeah, yeah. And then I started getting bizarrely offers for um, for acting work, and I did a few things last year. And I was like, I'm not even sure if I actually enjoy yeah. standing on a mark all day yeah. and being twisted yeah. slightly to my left. I'm and, there, brother. Yeah. yeah, do you yeah. know what I mean? And I'm yeah. like, I don't know. So I haven't r- ruled it out completely. Yeah. If a good thing comes along and I really want to do it, or if I wrote something that I thought only I could play it, yeah then maybe I'd do it. But at the moment, it's the writing, it's the directing, yeah. it's doing stuff like this. Yeah. Um, I mean, when you're directing, it's, it's you're, you're being creative all day. Yeah. Whereas an actor, there's a, lo- a lot of hanging totally. around in your trailer. And then, oh, my there's God. A and, then, and, I, and personally, I always thought, I mean, even doing the um, Smell My Cheese scene, after mm-hmm. it, I thought, oh, that was rubbish. I, was, I don't think I was any good in it. Oh, you know, God. You just think, you know, I was always down on myself. Whereas... I'm probably more insufferable as a director where I was like, no, I know what's right. I know what Well, also, you haven't got the time to overthink things. You yeah. just have to, you have to be instinctive, don't yeah. you? And uh, I like that about that as well. Listen, we, I could talk to you for hours, but we only have one, Good. I'm afraid. Okay. So we're going to uh, just, uh, before you go, I want you to tell us what you've picked as a guilty pleasure. I mean, I actually know, but for the listeners, yeah. tell me what uh, you've picked. Well, I, it's, I mean, it's not the guiltiest pleasure, but it's first dates. I, I yeah. do like watching first dates. I, well, the, what was weird is when you emailed me that, I had been watching, I think I watched two back-to-back the night before. Right, okay. My girlfriend loves it, and I pretend I'm a bit above it, but yeah. actually can't get enough of it. No. What is it why, do we, why do you love it so much? Well, uh, it's, I, I, th- I, I think it's, uh, there's, I, I fast-forward through a lot of it, because mm. I, 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 I'm not really interested in the, the, the subtext of the waiters and stuff. I just, yeah, what is I that? Just, yeah, I, we just, don't need that. I just want... Fluff. I want the um, you know the, the the people yeah and it's and what is great about I used to be obsessed with Big Brother I used to really? in this channel four days I used to I used to because it's and my justification was because it's a very immoral program in many ways <laughs> uh, you know sort of gladiatorial are you entertained yeah. but um, it's, it's it's you see people at their most peopley. And I think that's the thing about first dates is that this uh, people, everyone has a story. It reminds you how everyone has a story. Um, you want them. You're rooting for them. There's drama in there because you're rooting for them. Um, uh, and also, it's a reminder to yourself not to be a prejudiced tosser. Yeah. But so often I go, there's someone comes on, oh, a bit of this, yeah. And I go, oh, my yeah. God. And the sn- I wheel in the snobbery. Yeah. And then you see that they've been through cancer or they've helped their mum or they yeah. had a terrible, some, I don't know, some terrible thing. And, the, and you see that they're a decent, wonderful mm-hmm. human being. Some of them aren't decent ones. But I think it's unlike some of the reality shows that, that thrive on people being shits. Mm-hmm. This, is, this, this is one where it teaches us that everyone is, has got a bit of good in them. And yeah. then 2017, Dan, that's what we need. That's what we need. Yeah. And you're running uh, on this uh, particular... For, uh, yeah, for I, so I certainly need to be reminded that some <laughs> people are good. And there's, uh, I know, yeah. yeah. I think the prejudice thing is really true. And, um, and I'm, a, I'm terrible for that, like... 
just you know thinking I've sussed someone out yeah. in, a, in a millisecond, yeah. you know, and then being surprised. My my other because I agree with you on that. That's partly why I like things like that, but that as well. But is also when you work in when you write and you create stuff it's so hard to watch things without the critical brain going and because it's yeah. so far removed from what I do for yeah. a living it's like I guess for some people watching sport or something it's just like I'm yeah. not I, I don't know how they make this show I'm just gonna go with it and yeah, yeah, yeah. you know it seems and real people rather than actors and, yeah I do um, wonder whether Fred is actually from Hull the, the uh, French head waiter where he's yeah. actually like, but you know, actually, oh, I've really got a great career with this, this French accent stuff. Actually, I know he's not because we do some stuff. We do the Channel yeah. 4 uh, yeah. stuff. And he's, he's a You're nice perpetuating guy, so, a terrible French. myth there. Yeah, that, yeah. Fred from Hull. <laughs> Uh, so your second of well actually you picked three songs but we don't have time for all three of them the one we're not going to play is from Lord of the Rings so you could tell us a little bit why you wanted to uh, pick that but also um, well then I'll describe the song that we're going to play out on but what is it about Lord of the Rings that you uh, the music that you love so much Uh, well it's it's Lord of the Rings that I love Uh, so uh, I was a real Lord of the Rings nerd in for the book yeah from the book yeah Uh, a uh, real uh, let's let's discuss the Silmarillion, you know. Like I know I don't think elves would not do that. Uh, in the Elvish, in the original Elvish, the word is Karala, uh, you know, wow. so that sort of yeah. nerdy stuff. Um, and so that's what I was like instead of having girlfriends as a teenager. <laughs> uh, and uh, and then the films came out, and the tension with when you love something as much as I loved Lord of the Rings, then you know the tension is yeah. whether the films will be any good. And just that first scene of the first film was so good. And then I remember going to see the first step. First screening with all the nerds queuing up, and we all you could feel the nerdy relief, yeah. But I also auditioned for it, uh, I auditioned for Gollum, and yet you still have so much love for it, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, so that goes to show. Yeah. I didn't, I obviously didn't get it, and I, I, I like to say that no, I would have been a fantastic Gollum, but I scared <laughs> the bejesus out of them with really? how obsessive I was about oh, the movie. Uh, you would have thought that would get, stand you in good stead, wouldn't you? But, but maybe... I think I was so mad, oh they could God. see in the eyes that yeah. I would be trouble, and yeah, I would yeah. be going up to Peter. Jackson saying, I don't mm. think you can do this yeah. because if you look in book two, he actually you know, page 43, yeah. I think you'll find yeah, 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 <laughs> so uh, so it has a and then this this piece of music we are going to play out, this is uh, from the uh, movie Pulp Fiction which yeah. everyone will uh, recognise, this has become such a familiar piece of music is this is it this piece of music or is it the film? What, what yeah, is it it's, I mean it's it's really the piece of music that you know I like. I used to as when I was at Oxford, I was a punkabilly. Uh, <laughs> you sorry. went from a Lord of the Rings gig to a punkabilly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know who I was. Yeah, yeah. I've only just Took found out in the last year or so. Um, but um, but I and this was the sort of music that I really liked then. And but uh, but you know, did you know this piece of music before the film? Yeah, yeah, you did. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, and also. The, the but the film itself um, was a real like you know I mean I'm, I'm, there's nothing original to say it was so it broke the mold so mm-hmm. much in what you can do with filmmaking it was exciting wasn't and, it and I think like if you look at Death of Stalin Death of Stalin is a lot of it is the Royale with Cheese thing. Yeah. Where the, what's great about the Royale with Cheese thing is like, oh my God, gangsters talking normally like normal people. And what we've done in Death of Stalin is we've shown that the Politburo are just normal people. Yeah. I mean, horrible people, yeah, yeah. but they're just normal people who, who talk and behave as normal people would. Mm-hmm. And that's the sort of frightening thing. The subtitle of Death of Stalin should be Soviet Royale with Cheese. <laughs> Do you know what that is in Russian? I don't know. Oh. No, no, no. 
Come on, that would have been the best way to end. I'm not going to offended Russia enough without (laughs) doing some bad Russian. Very quickly, I was going to ask: Did you shoot in Russia? I think there was some uh, of the exteriors. Well, we we shot uh, quite a bit in Ukraine. Okay, not quite a bit. Mostly was here, so you you might notice some of the. uh, Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the mansion house, and that's (laughs) that's Ali Pali. Yeah. But there was some shooting. I think there was a week or so in Ukraine, and I think there might have been a day in Moscow, but I'm not sure. I thought, did they get permission, and would Putin have been okay with this? If there is anyone from Russia listening, I had nothing to do with the movie. Yeah, okay. Um, but, yeah. Don't eat uh, Itsu yeah. anytime <laughs> soon. <laughs> David, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Good luck with the rest of the run of The Death of Stalin. I love the film. Thank you. Big Thanks fan of me. your work. Oh. And I just hope that you keep making great stuff. Um, oh. This is Dick Dale and his Delta. His Deltones. Not the Deltones. Mm. Is that what it's saying? As opposed to the other person's <laughs> Deltones. Yeah. Yeah. We've all got a Deltone, yeah. mate. <laughs> and this, as everyone will know is from Pulp Fiction. If you enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes.